think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, I hope you're all enjoying a relaxing Easter weekend. Today you're in for a treat, a podcast I've been looking forward to for months. Ahead of the Grand National next Saturday, I caught up with former jockey and BBC presenter Richard Pittman. Enjoy 55 minutes of fun and insight about the world's most famous race. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Hello, Richard. Great to have you back on the paddock and the pavilion. Yes, a very popular one. I enjoyed Philip Blacker, your last one. He was brilliant. Yes, uh, he he reminded me that uh, you'd had dinner with him before lockdown and uh, it upset you by talking about crisp again. So uh, No, it doesn't upset me at all. He was a very good rider in the National Royal Mail Lana Rye. Yeah, he was good. Anyway, what's happening today, Stephen? Well, we're going to talk about uh, the Grand National, your recollections, and also about this year's Grand National. But to start with, uh, how are you and what did you uh, think of Cheltenham? Because I've got a question to start with from someone who used to know you, Mike Sly. Yes, I knew Mike, yeah. And you had a horse with him called Will Rack Farrier. Correct, yeah. Can I, the interesting story there, I, I, this, I may go on too long. I, we bred it and I bought it for a syndicate and I thought, I can sell the name of this horse, you know, make money, sell a name. And so I sold it to my farrier who was called William Rack. And so we called it Will Rack Farrier and it won its first two two-year races for Jack Berry. And then went absolutely wild on Derby Day at Epsom and was never any good afterwards. We bred from her. So, yeah, it was great. But I thought I could extend that. But a lot of firms said, well, if it's no good, it's bad advertising. So, you know, that didn't go anywhere. Ah, right. Well, I know, I know Mike quite well because my father knows him really well. And we, I've been to Aintree quite a few times with Mike. So he lives down in Wayne. Right. And he had a question about... Uh, Cheltenham, what has caused the Irish dominance 
at the Cheltenham Festival in the past few years? <laughs> if only we knew, but I can remember a time when they, they didn't figure at all, you know, had done, and then they had barren years and now came back with a bang. Um, I, I cannot tell you, and surely everybody would like to know, except that their horses were in excellent form, proved to be uh, better most of the time. I mean, our best one and a very good horse is Shishkin from Mickey Henderson's, obviously. But I cannot tell you why. <laughs> there are odd stables around the country at the moment, still not firing. You know, good stables, having winners, but moderate ones. Is something going around? You know, viruses spread around a lot. But, you know, you would have expected the skeletons to have one. Um, you, you know, Nicky had two. Uh, Paul Nichols had a barren time. I, I couldn't explain it. It, it. it was very exciting with them. But Rachel Blackmore, I mean, I know she hates being called a female jockey and asked questions about this, but she can't get away from the fact that she is and she's breaking records all the time i i just admire her her positioning of in the race is is brilliant her finishing is strong her tactics are good what more do you want but surely Stephen, every jockey who's doing well has to be riding for a big stable who are healthy the health of the stable is paramount well thank you for that um before we go on to the Grand National, I have got a few hellos as well. I, I forgot them at the start, but um, Des Briscoe, who remind uh, wanted to remind me uh, to you, recalls riding up upside to you. I've also I also had an email from John John Jinx James. Yes, yes, he runs a stud, bought a stud. He made more out of racing than uh, the number of winners. Uh, thought he would have he's done very very well yeah nice yeah, study he, in Newmarket. that's right um uh brookside stud he yeah he, he made comment about being unlucky because he rode anglo before he moved to fred winter and also rode rag trade but not in the grand national <laughs> yeah but where james and i um great each other slightly we're good friends um one of his rides was Burlington the second, and it was my only ride for Ryan Price on a bank holiday when they couldn't get anyone else. And he, it was the not millennium, whatever it was, a huge cups for the for the winners of the, the races on this day. It, it could be two hundred years of jockey club or something. And I, I won it on Burlington, which was Jinx's ride as well as Doug Barrett's. And they were just about to present the prize to Major Derek Wigan, Major Derek Wigan, steward of the jockey club, when I weighed in a stone light. So they had to take the cup back off him. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. Uh, the horse had 12, 13 or something like that. And bank holiday, you know, it was a, a clerical error. You know, when I sat on the stale, scales, I was a stone light when I came in. It was very unfortunate. Well, he'll, he'll enjoy hearing that. And one other thing outside of the Grand National, you, you mentioned in one of the podcasts, we've had so many, just the two, but uh, that you missed riding. And uh, do you still occasionally ride? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've given up hunting this year. Uh, I'm 78 now. And it was going to be dodgy because of the pandemic. And in fact, it stopped. I, I go out with the Heathrop. And also... Uh, Rafe Beckett and Richard Hannon 
rent the Tedworth Hunt every February and invite 40 friends. And uh, I mean, it was quite incredible. A couple of years ago, there were three grand national winning jockeys lining up. There was McCoy, Charlie Fenwick from America, rode Ben Nevis, and Marcus Armitage, and then Richard Hughes, and then A.P. McCoy. I mean, it was just crazy. And we, off we go, jump, 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 pulled up by wood, by one of Hannon's gallops, and they're casting in the wood, and all of a sudden, yee, away we go. And the field went through a gate into the wood and off, not McCoy, he went to jump the post and rails surrounding the gallop and the horse took off six inches above the, off the ground, not four foot six, and smashed the fence down. He went up the horse's neck and it broke his nose and there was blood everywhere. Well, everyone clapped and yahooed and yahooed. <laughs> but he carried on through the whole day, blood pouring everywhere. So, yes, I do ride still, but I've given up hunting. Now, that was a question from Vicky Sewell from North Norfolk, who's obviously been very carefully listening to the podcast. So now let's go on to the Grand National. And one of the, the topical questions to start with was about the race and the course. And first question here from Wendy Smith. It's quite a long one. It's six lines, actually. But do you think the race has been diminished by the reduction in the, in the height of the fences in recent years? Could they be further reduced or the number of entrants reduced without compromising the quality of the race? Right. Good question. I don't think it'll ever go back to what it was. Public opinion decreed that it should be easier. And those, you know, Stephen, if you'd seen the fence before they dressed, they had six to nine inch wooden stakes and then dressed with this spruce. Well, they've been replaced by plastic. I mean, you hit them in the old days, they did an upside down. You know, it had to come. But it's a shame the drop at Beaches has gone because that was unique. Uh, and it's been leveled out and the ditches, Beaches Brook's been filled in. Um, it's changed dramatically, but it had to. But you've still got 40 runners, four and nearly four and a half miles, it's, it's a big test. And especially on good ground, as looking out now, we should have. You'll see 25, 30 runners going out onto the second circuit, coming onto the race course proper with two to jump. You'll see maybe 15 or 19. No, it will be. If the, if the rain keeps away and it's scheduled to, it will be exciting. The answer to the question is no, it will never change back to what it was. I wouldn't like to see a reduction in the numbers because that makes it very exciting and gives a lot of people lower down the handicap, other than the obvious ones, a chance at a big pot. I mean, it's a million pound race, thanks to Randolph's and Aintree. Right. Well, the second question, we've got two questions now ready on horse welfare. First one is from Tony Linnett. He's the author of a, a book called Free Love about the uh, racehorse. Yeah. And, um, with the focus on horse welfare becoming more intense, how can we make the race safer without losing its character? There's nothing more we can do. I mean, let's just take the Gold Cup winner, synchronised. He uh, got rid of Tony McCoy, was at Beaches first time, and ran loose and jumped five fences loose and injured himself and had to be euthanised. I don't see how that could have been 
helped anymore. We have runouts around the fences now, so loose horses can go either side of the fences. Big improvement. I remember, and I'm sure you do, Mill Reef, the Derby winner, 1971, broke his leg on the best gallops in the world at uh, Kingsclear of Ian Baldings, just doing a normal canter. I mean, it, it happens. You'll never get a, a time where there are no fatalities. I'm not talking about the National, because the National has had a clear run of six years and then i think we we had one last couple but it's it's certainly safer but i don't see it ever getting back and what can you do they're not like rugby american rugby players you know you put a great big body pad on them and a helmet you know they're they're highly toned athletes they're raring to go no i can't see us doing anything else similar to that i've got a question from uh, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Devon, she works for the Jockey Club. She's a training grounds executive at the Jockey Club Estates in Newmarket. On a similar line, she said, but people argue it has the opposite effect, changes to the, to the um, course, uh, because the field are now running faster. The times don't tell you that. Uh, it, it, it's a theory, and it's to me, doesn't merit talking about particularly. Um, when the fences, I mean, they changed before my time in 1961. Jerry Scott won it in 60 and then was the first to ride in the next altered fences. Um, and the, still we go, I say we, I still think of myself a jockey 45 years later. Um, the stewards come in, tell you to, now then boys, go steady, you know, to the first 40 runners, four and a half miles, just behave yourselves. No one takes a blind bit of notice because you've all got your preconceptions of where you want to be in the race. And it's easier, Stephen, to be up there and settle back to sixth, seventh, eighth than be jumping off 35th and trying to get up the course to sixth, seventh or eighth. So that's why. So no one takes any notice. They all go far too fast. That's why we have falls at the first and the times do not tell you they're going any quicker it's a fallacy right next question is um, from someone you know quite well samantha martin from leicestershire sam is an amazing girl she's just done 14 um exams in 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 a week while cheltenham was on but still does blogs she is so enthusiastic and so knowledgeable and keeps records i mean she's 16 she'll be taking all our well i don't have any jobs she'll be taking everyone's jobs or at some stage she is so good you know at that age you'd think she'd have other interests absolutely blinkered into racing flat and jumping and really knows her stuff i mean for instance she'll pop up on twitter and say oh so and so is running today they took him out of the Potemps cup at cheltenham now why did they do that because they had seen that this was a better option. You know, she's so on the ball. Amazing girl. Oh, I didn't realise if she was that young. I was going to, I've already asked her whether she'd come on the podcast. So um, hopefully she'd be a brilliant girl to have on. Good. Well, her question is, do you think the type of horse who wins the Grand National has changed over the years? Well, we've still got quality horses. I mean, uh, Gold Cup horses used to run in it and we've had, a better depth, Stephen. We've still got quality horses. Look at Bristol Demai's top weight quality horse. 
um, and, and down way in the weights, which gives him a huge chance, cloth cap off 10 stone five. You know, he won the Ladbrook, the old Hennessy. Uh, no, we've, the quality is good, but it's got stronger from the top half dozen. You know, in my day, there'd be horses running off eight stone nine, having to carry 10 stone, but there'd be 20 of those out of the handicap. Now you have a job to get in unless you're rated 140. It used to be 110 and you get a run. So the overall quality of the race has improved. But, you know, we could do with another Gold Cup runner, a winner running in it, couldn't we? Well, thank you for that one. Um, our next question I've got is from Tracy Harding. She is from Discover Newmarket, and it's also a question that she also consulted some of her tour guides. And uh, you've touched on it already, but would you ride the same sort of race today um, with the fences as they are now, as you did in your day? Yes. Um, I mean, Chris was an exception. We won't go banging on about him, but he was such a hard front running horse at his best when we tried to hold him up in the gold cup he didn't like it so and he was such an exuberant jumper we would have jumped on something's back in behind he was never running away it was his quickness of jumping got him so far clear it all depends on the horse now i rode another second on steel bridge in 1969 and i think it's my best ride ever I went around the inside, up near the front, not in the front. I was scraping paint off the rails with my boots. I could not have done anything better. But we just weren't quite good enough. Highland Wedding won the race. It depends on the horse. I mean, I'm writing, I'm writing something now which could either be a book or, or maybe a film. And uh, I'm reliving a young person going to Aintree and it's fascinating to go back all over those years because I, you know my big gaga now and I don't remember things but once you start writing things come into your brain that you'd forgotten were even there I don't know what that's got to do with the question but sorry I thought I'd mention it it's all right well, the next question is from uh, uh, a friend of mine who's also the chief executive and clerk of the course at Fakenham Racecourse this is David Hunter and he was a guest on our show on episode 17. Firstly, did you have any winners at Fakenham? Yes, I loved it. And David Hunter is an extraordinary man. He does a great job. The prize money at Fakenham compared to, I mean, like Kelsa was Saturday, two 35 grand races and a 30 grand race. You know, they outshone Newbury. And uh, oh, these smaller courses, they've got good driving force like David Hunter. They do well. But in my first days riding there the course wasn't quite the same you'd jump the last and go around onto another circuit and they'd open a double wire gate thing and you'd go round a big field with cow pats and things in it and come back onto the race proper further on down uh, it, it's i mean there's the prince of wales stands there you know he opened it it's done what well. it's a good course the doggiest most dog friendly course on in the country everyone's got a dog good farming community loyal people love it well he'll be pleased to hear that but as you say it's a very friendly course when you ever go to fake them um, now, his question is, the approach, angle and stride to jump the canal turn is probably the most technical jump on the course. 
It's probably the only chase fence in the country jumped at an angle. How much thought do you put into this as a jockey, or do you rely on good luck? Well, he's got a very short memory because in the Cheltenham cross-country, there is a canal turn, and it is exactly the same. But it's easier, of course, because it's privet, so you can go through it. Um, Anyway, to go back to the initial question, yes, of course it does take thinking about but if you are in the middle of a bunch of 20 horses, you've got no chance of doing anything by being taken. It's like going down the tube, you know, escalator in rush hour. You've got no chance of doing what you want. You do where you're taken. But of course, you move out. On crisp, I had great ability to do that. Uh, you move out and then cut across it. You can almost make it a straight line if you've got the space. John Oaksey and I rode around for the BBC television and we mic'd up, you know, and followed. And we were both going into uh, into the canal turn and, and moved off and cut right across the corner by the birch. And John said, yeah, well, that was, they'll enjoy that. We were very good there, weren't we? You know? uh, and it was right. But there were only two of us. You've got a big bunch. It's a different matter. And I, I remember seeing Amberley House fall there. But they were so bunched going into that corner that three or four sat on him, horses. Jockeys were on top of each other, birch all over them. And he shook himself afterwards, got up and won the next year. You know, but he disappeared under a weight of horses. It's a tricky fence. You can only imagine what it must have been like when 66 went to post in the late 1920s. Yeah, yeah, quite incredible. Didn't Didn't the starter shout? Triers up the front, non-triers in the second line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my next question is from a cricketer, actually. Um, he's going to come on the show um, in a couple of weeks' time called George Garrett. He's a young player at Warwickshire. And his question is, after riding at the big meetings like um, Aintree or Cheltenham, uh, what's it like going back, the, well, in your day, perhaps on the Monday, to a smaller course? Well, you're still buoyed up. You know, everyone's still talking about it. it. It's such an exciting thing. And you, you've either done well or you've done something stupid or you've fallen off and you've got a black eye. No, the entry the factor lingers on for most of the next, next week. You know, people still discuss it. It just is something different. Right. Um, we're going on to, to a bit more about yourself now. Um, uh, Jenny B from Wickenbrook, she asks... What was your national race day routine? Yeah, interesting that. I mean, you don't sleep well the night before, obviously, have a dinner with a few friends. I used to go um, most years to Ginger McCain's. He always gave a party um, before he even won it. And um, it was great fun. You've got to do something. You can't just say, oh, I'll go to bed at 8.30 and I'll be fresh in the morning. You don't sleep too excited so have a few drinks a meal and the morning of the race you get up early and go and actually sit on your horse which is good go and give him a little canter and go back to your hotel have a bath get changed and I used to I'm not religious now but I used to always call in I was brought up a Catholic I'd always call in at uh, church on the way and you know try and make myself have a better chance, I suppose, <laughs> but also to feel easy. In fact, I wrote a, 
I wrote a prayer. Um, a lady did a book on prayers, and John Reed did one for flat jockeys, and I did one for jump jockeys. And a lot of it centered around going to the third, oh, help me, God, and I'll be good for the next year or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? So I'd go to church, and you, you get there, and you, it, 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 the whole thing is exciting. The build-up, that little sanctuary of the changing room, you know, it's a marvellous place to be. We all discuss each other's chances. And then it goes a little bit quiet, you know, as you start to really think about it. You, you've thought about it a lot, but you, you've really got to think about it. And the chatty ones become quiet, and the quiet ones become chatty. You know, it has a f- odd effect. And the jokers are out, of course. Someone would put a tomato in your side of your helmet so you rush to go and put it on and crush the tomato and it's all running down your face silly things like that ron barry used to tack a notice on there was only one loo 40 runners one loo he'd put a notice on there reserved for ron barry from 2:30 till 3:10. you know it was it was a great place to be and then when when you're called out it's a long, long build-up to when you can actually start. That's all you want to do is be on your own with your horse. So the build-up, very exciting. No wonder some horses boil over. You know, it's, it's, it's quite something. But you, you'd walk, walk the course again in the morning if you've got, you've got plenty of time. I mean, what do you do? Do you, you don't want to talk to people particularly? You know, go and walk the course, keep out of the way. So, oh, it's a great build-up, great race. I love it. Well, thank you for that. You talked about um, parties with Ginger McCain before the race, but what did jockeys do on the Saturday night after the race? Were there, were there parties again? Um, there used to be a tradition that there, there was one at the Adelphi Hotel and they'd show the race after the second course and everybody would jump up and it was great. I only went to one of those when I was second on Steel Bridge and when they showed the replay Steelbridge had run several times moderately in the race before. Mrs. Lockhart Smith trained him. And uh, when they showed the replay, he made a slight peck at Foynaven. And she jumped up and said, there, look, that's where you lost the race. I was beaten 12 lengths and it was a peck. <laughs> so that was a big thing way back. But that's dispersed. People want to go home. Stephen, you know, you've been up there probably since Wednesday and whatever's happened to you, you want to go home. Right. That was a question from Bob Nash from Bury St. Edmunds. But uh, my next question is about you again. It's from Angela Durrant from Norfolk. And she asked, who are your Grand National heroes, jockeys, trainers, horses? Yes, Angela is a regular on Twitter. We we converse. Um, She's better educated than myself. Uh, there are so many because to win that race, you, you know, you've not got to have luck. You've got to have ability and luck. Fred Winter, who I rode for, won it twice as a jockey. And then his first two years as a trainer, trained the winners of the Grand National. Well, I mean, what a feat is that? Tremendous man. Great man. Um, he should have had another Grand National as well, but that's history. So he was my early hero of course but isn't it incredible how some very good jockeys don't have a record there i mean john franklin didn't win it yet he rode brilliantly he rode third on rough and tumble i think 
and he looked as if he'd been laid out for dead off Golden Slipper at the second beaches when cantering along. John Joe O'Neill never got round in 10 attempts. He's won it, and I think he'll win it this year with cloth cap. Great man, but didn't have any luck at Aintree. So they, and uh, my hero, of course, is Bob Champion to have recovered what he could recovered from and his horse, Aldeniti, to win it. Most marvelous thing. I was really not upset. Well, yeah, I, I wrote the letters and got people f- to try and get him a knighthood this recent round of honors, and they gave him a CBE. You know, he'd already got an MBE, but you know. He is still banging on doors, raising money for the Bob Cancer Trust. So Bob Champions was a was a great race. Uh, I've loved many of them. So much drama. It's theatre. The whole thing is theatre. So every year sticks out. Now, certainly Bob uh, would thoroughly deserve a knighthood. Another person, of course, who didn't win the race was someone who used to work with was Peter Scudamore. Yeah. Great jockey, Skew. Great jockey. Very, like his son now, talks a good race, you know. They, if you ask older Skew and younger Skew about a race, they can tell you about every horse in the race and how they're run. They are absolute analysts. But Skew, when he joined the BBC, wasn't a natural. He used to get excited and stutter a, a, a fair bit. And we did a job for sponsors at Ascot. He was brilliant before racing, absolutely brilliant, you know, strong, laughing. Oh, and great. And as we went down in the lift, I said, Skew, you know, why don't you do that on television? He said, oh, no, because that wasn't serious. Yes, it was. And we both had a very nice check for doing it. Thank you very much. The art of television, as anyone will tell you who does it regularly, is to look at that camera and for me to pretend it's my wife or son. Talk to talk to someone you know. You're like you're not talking to millions. You're talking to someone you know in your head. And Skew was never a natural, uh, but his evaluation of races was good. He 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 didn't have any hard luck stories. I don't think as a rider in the race, but a great thinking man. And here's an interesting story. I know I waffle a lot, Steve, but it's quite interesting. And I, when he joined us on the BBC. Um, we're sitting there and we did together for years the pre-parade, you know, and then down to the start and that sort of thing. And I can't remember the year, but he's he got the ride for his son on Smarty, trained by my son, Mark, being second to Red Marauder when only a couple finished the year before. And we thought it's a great, safe ride with a chance for Tom for his first ride. Anyway, come nearer the race, Tom Skew was offered the ride by Tristan Davis, where Skew was assistant, on Binderee. Now, Skew advised him to stick with Smarty, tried and tested, angry horse, give you a great spin. And Binderee won, and Skew was in floods of, you know, ah, terrible. And I said, but Skew, well done. You've actually just you know, again, assistant to a, a, a winning Grand National horse. Anyway, he elbowed me in the ribs and said, yes, but I stopped my son riding a winner. Perhaps he never will now, you know, very much. Talking about Grand National jockeys, um, Kelvin Favel from Huntingdon, 
wanted to uh, get your thoughts on a, a real maverick for the Grand National in the Duke of Albuquerque. Oh, yes, lovely man. I mean, this man uh, lived in a castle in Spain with an army. He had an army of beef eaters, big pikes and very you know, heavy hats and pantaloons and a great man. And he rode in it five times uh, and a lovely personable man considering his position. And uh, he came, rode out regularly for us. He bred his good horse, Nerio, and ran in the National five times. The best time he finished once, he was fifth or sixth or seventh. And it was, yeah, was a time... Eighth, eighth, eighth in 1974. Right. Um, and you didn't get round that year, so he beat you. Yeah, yeah. I was riding a very funny horse. He refused in the end. But anyway, there's a good story that we won't going to too long anyway the duke had broken both collarbones and was encased in plaster of paris the top half of his bo- body so along there encasing both his shoulders so it was the most stylish he ever rode you know he couldn't move and it it finished um, as you say eight but a very interesting thing he barged and hit ron barry sideways on at shall we say, the canal turn. And uh, Ron Barry said, what the, yeah, what the hell do you think you're doing? And the Duke said very nicely, I don't know, stronger than that, I've never got this far before. <laughs> <laughs> great man, great man. Well, we, we, we finally got to um, two horses that you've got a close association with for one reason or another. The first one's Crisp. And actually, we haven't got many questions on him, but the first one is from an Australian, Joe McGrath. He's the, the manager, engagements and cup tour for Victoria Racing Club. And his question was, what did you know about Chris before he arrived in the UK? Well, we knew, we saw videos of what he'd done in uh, Australia. Their racing is very different. You know, you could see dry ground, you know, fast races, smallish fences. And he was a bold front runner. A Scotsman called Tommy McGinley rode him. Great, great horse. And they put a lot of weight on his back to even the thing up, you know, in, in handicaps. And in the end, I think he was asked to carry, I don't know, 13, 14 stone. So that's why Sir Chester, who bred him, sent him to us. He came via America, had one run there, finished fifth in the Colonial Cup. And when he arrived with us, what an individual. I mean, he was 17-2. He was strong, heart room. Oh, he was everything that, that we wanted. Pulled hard. And he had never been in cold climate. And his hair grew like human hair. And when we tried to clip him before he ran, he went mad. He caused all sorts of mayhem. And in the end, we got some dope from the old Windsor Safari Park that they used on elephants. <laughs> we managed to immobilise him, not put him down, but immobilise him in order to clip him. And we ran him a week later at Wincanton. It was, he was given top weight because in those days there was no international marks. You know, they, they gave him top weight, 12 stone seven against good horses, jumped out, made all the running, won by, don't know, daylight. From right from the start, he was a good horse. Now, I get a lot of stick. I did a speaking tour in in Australia around uh, Victoria, 
And uh, people were still giving me a lot of stick. Tommy McGinley should have ridden the horse. And, you know, I was stable jockey. He, he was my ride. Uh, that was that. But having looked back at old photographs and things, I don't think Tommy McGinley would have got round at Aintree because he rode with a very short rein. Perhaps it was the style they had in Australia. But at Aintree, you need to be able to slip your reins through your fingers and sit back, especially at Beaches Brook, to act as ballast to keep their backsides down. And because Tommy rode with a short rein, I think he'd have been pulled over the horse's head, quite honestly. And that's not being mean. I'm just trying to evaluate the situation. But a great horse. Right. My other question about Crisp is from Debbie Nichols from Grantham. And she asked, what happened to Crisp after the 1973 Grand National? Good story. He had a few niggly leg problems, but we beat Red Rum in a match race at Doncaster, 12 stone level weights, and we won by eight lengths. Never off the bridle, never in danger. And he got a bit of a tendon there. So for the few races he... He ran after that. We had to be very careful about him. And he didn't run in the national again because of that. You know, a lot of strain jumping in those days over drop fences, easier now. Um, and he retired. Actually, they gave him to me as a hunter. And then before we'd finished getting his legs right, they took him away and gave him to John Trotter from Scotch Corner in the Zetland hunting country in Yorkshire because they thought he deserved a galloping country, whereas down here, little fields, wet, clay, you know, and they made the right decision. So for eight years, he hunted with the Zetland, and he was brilliant, as you would expect him to be. Um, and he died on a Sunday morning when the local gentry farmers were having a Hey day without hounds you know they just decide let's all meet and we'll go and jump over so-and-so's farm and and so they jumped around several farms and he, he had a hard time died uh, john trotter buried him we know that red rum is buried in the winning post at aintree facing the winning page standing upright they buried chris at the entrance to john trotter's estate and they planted a flowering pink flowering cherry tree on his grave and so they come into full bloom Aintree Week. So every year for the past 48 years, there have been pink petal tears fluttering down onto Crisp's grave on the estate in Scotch Corner. It's a, oh, it makes me quite well up to think about it. Oh, it's a lovely story, that. And now on to Red Rum. Uh, Steve Powell from Felixstowe, he contacted me and said, just how good was Red Rum? Well, he was very good. Obviously not as good as Chris because he was receiving £25, but he was a very good horse for many reasons. When you think he was bred to be a five-furlong horse, he won dead-heated at Aintree on the level. Um, he, he had pedalostitis in his feet. That's why he was so successful. Ginger training him in the sea, the salt water all the time. It couldn't have been to a better man. But where he was brilliant, in five Grand Nationals, three wins, two seconds, he only made one semblance of a mistake. You know, I mean, it's 150 fences with all those oh, 
people around you and horses around you, one semblance, and it was barely a mistake. Amazing horse. And he could do like, you're not young enough to remember Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, the boxer, but he had what they called the Ali shuffle. You know, he was like a butterfly, sting like a wasp and uh, whatever the thing was. Red Rum was the same. If he went to a fence and he wasn't quite right on the right stride, he would do a little, put two or three little strides in and jump it brilliantly. Now, the odd thing about that is he wouldn't be schooled at home, wouldn't jump anything at home. So the only time he jumped was in a race on the race course, and he was brilliant. I actually had the honour of sitting on him for a BBC stunt, and it was in the days I just looked at the photograph of me just in a cloth cap, you know, no body protectors, anything like that, no crash helmets. And there were three horses. It was on the flat. And Ginger said to me, now, look, Richard, he's an old pro. When you get to the bends, you'll want to push the others out of the way. So just be careful. So he's legged me up. And then he said, oh, by the way, you've had a good look at his backside in the 73 National. Now you can look between his ears. Lovely horse. Lovely horse to sit on. Paul well, of course, he, he also won the Scottish Grand National in 1974. And looking up, he came second in a Hennessy Gold Cup as well. Hmm. Excuse me, off the top of my head, I think he was second to Red Candle, but I can't remember that. Um, no, he was a very, very good horse. And he was trained originally by Bobby Renton, who was the grandfather of Ian Renton, who runs Cheltenham and the whole of the south west of, of England. And there's Ian Maestro there. So I think he, he was sold for six grand. I know it was a long time ago, 70s, but it's six grand he changed hands for. Very difficult to try and buy a Grand National horse. Right, okay. How do you rate Tiger Roll compared to Red Rum? Uh, I, I love Tiger, but he wouldn't win a Hennessy. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do those sort of things. How he came back to win at Cheltenham in the cross-country simply amazed me. I thought they'd retire him there. Having seen his previous two races, lacklustre, could only go a mile on steady pace and then drop out. I couldn't see it. But he came alive over those fences and the sun on his back. And he was always on the bridle. He was always in his comfort zone. I mean, what a great horse. Is it? Is it five times he's won at Cheltenham now and two Grand Nationals? I mean, he's a great horse. But he, he doesn't, and I think O'Leary is right in this way, he doesn't merit the rating that he's given because he wouldn't win a gold cup. He, he, he wouldn't win a Hennessy. He's just a very, very good horse at what he does, but red rum was better. Well, moving on to this year's race. Um, what are your thoughts on this year's race? Well, to me, cloth cap is the biggest certainty yeah. since fried bread or sliced bread. It should be. He's got 10, five, he won the old Hennessy of the Ladbrook. He gallops and stays, although he's never been over this trip. The trip is the only thing we don't know about. He goes in various ground, wants a bit of cut, but it'll never be fast at Aintree again. They were water to never let it be fast. Um, I love the way he jumps. He carries his head very low, which a lot of non-horsey people think, oh, must be terrible. No, it's great. You don't want their head in your face. You want them looking where they're going. Uh, and he won at Kelso after that, after the, the Ladbrook. The spacing between then and Aintree is absolutely right. No, he, he's got everything 
the only thing that can stop him is bad luck because the trainers in form, they're healthy, John Joe Neal's. Um, it's very difficult to pick out what might happen in advance because we don't know. It could pour with rain even the day before. With, and that old black peat sedge doesn't half get wet if that happens. So it's it's difficult to actually pick them up. Obviously, um, Kimberlite Candy of J.P. McManus is, is an out-and-out stayer. He wants soft ground. Tom Lacey trains him. He's got a big chance. Alpha Days Oboe. Now, I really do like him. He's got some funny, funny form uh, of late. But on his day, he's right. And he, he's run so well over the big fences before. Now, what Aintree does to horses, it ignites them. I rode a terribly ungenuine horse there once, and it loved Aintree. You know, it was a sulky, moody thing. When it got to Aintree, yeah! It finished about eight, I think, or seven. But anyway, the point is it can lift it. So that's the difficulty between form. I think Alfred Dezobo uh, will find his mojo when it comes to there. But just looking at my list here, go down it, you could go on forever. I mean, Bristol to Mai is the class horse. Um, but is he better earlier in the season? It might still be that way when the sun's on his back in an April day. Uh, Yala Enki stays forever, wants soft ground. But wouldn't that be a story? Bryony Foss? Yeah. Oh. And, of course, Rachel Blackmore may get a ride if uh, Mimela Times can get in the race. It's currently fairly well down at the moment. And if you look at the weight and, and the position, the Welsh national winner, Special Reprieve, is number 49. Now, he will get in because, as we know, the last fortnight, we get quite a few defections. Uh, so 49 he is. But, you know, he stays forever. And Evan Williams has produced him to peak here. You know, he had a hard race to win the national in the slog. And he's been, his whole thought process has been about, about Aintree. Now, I, 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 one I'd like to see win is the Hollow Ginge. He's owned by the most enthusiastic Liverpudlian uh, called John Neal. His son's riding now as a conditional. And, uh, and he has got bits of, bits of form. He was, he was 15 lengths behind Cloth Cap. So he's got a bit to find. But Cloth Cap, hasn't been over four and nearly half a mile. You know, it all spreads out that last half mile. So the stupid bet would be for me, I'm going to back him at silly odds, the hollow ginge for a bit of place money. Well, that's interesting because I've interviewed um, uh, John's, this is John Neal's son, Jamie, twice on the, on the podcast. And, um, I've been trying to get Jamie to get me John to appear on the podcast as well. So, well, if he wins the national, you'll get him. He is a yeah. brilliant man. Yeah. Well, I, I must. Uh, I must remind Jamie to see if we can get him on the on the yeah. podcast. Um, we've also got Potter's Corner, who won the Welsh Grand National in two thousand and nineteen, and won your virtual Grand National last year. Yes, the Welsh runner. And yes, Magic of Light, who was second to Tiger Roll in 2019's running again. Yeah, you, you, can, you can give so many a chance. Now, wouldn't it be marvellous for Potter's Corner to win? Because Christian Williams trains in the most amazing place down in Wales. 
he's by the sea and they they cross a river to come back you know and the horses are in there relaxing and pouring at the water uh, they've got sand gallops that aren't specific gallops just tracks through the sand dunes horses love it you know the he has done so well with the class of horse he's had what what he'll do is when they get better class horses i do not know he's a very very up-and-coming nice guy and he showed by winning the welsh national that he can do it it was quite a race of attrition that day wasn't it, it was very very wet but that's the way our winter has been this year the form gets turned upside down and what was the other one? Oh yes um the other one you mentioned i can't Magic remember of second. Light came second yeah uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a mare isn't it yeah i think it's a mare you know a very difficult thing for a mare to win a grand national but that it'll come I mean, all these long-standing statistics, you know, they're there to be challenged, aren't they? Yeah, well, records are there to be broken, aren't they? Um, yeah. Uh, eight or nine-year-olds have won the past five years. And uh, apart from Tiger Roll um, in 2019, we haven't had a favourite win since uh, Tony McCoy in 2010. Yeah. And just think, poor old synchronised, but just think of McCoy's rides around there. It took him 15 years to ride a winner, but he was so unlucky on Clan Royal. I mean, Clan Royal was in himself unlucky twice, um, but this particular time he was well clear, going to Beaches, three, second time, three loose horses came across and pinioned him into the, into the corner of the fence and the wing. You know, absolutely nothing to do with the race itself, apart from loose horses, which is a part of the race. So outsiders of late have done quite well in the race. We've had numerous 25, 33 to 1 winners, um, 66 to 1 yeah. winner in 2013. And in back in 2009, we had a 100 to 1 winner in Mon Moan, So Yes. Um, and the owner has Vida, Vida, I can't remember the same name, has got the run of this this time. I can't remember it. But other things to, to think about, uh, Jet uh, will be ridden by Sam Whaley-Cohen, who has, the amateur, who has the best record over not just the national fences, he hasn't won it yet, but over the top of them and all those others, because we have quite a few now. Amazing. He rides it amazingly. Uh, he rides Jet. We've mentioned Manila Times, only got 10 stone three. Um, uh, Rachel de Brom, uh, Rachel Blackmore, hopefully for Harry de Bromhead. And there's a trainer here who I think is underrated, Richard Hobson. He's also a, a, a bloodstock agent and buys for other people. But he's got an eight-year-old called Lord de Menil. Now, that has a squeak. But, Steve, you know, we look through it. You find 20 that could win it. And you try and whittle those 20 down. There are different reasons that they might win it. it it's still you end up. For me, Cloth Cap is, has it all, has everything. He just needs good luck on his side. And will he stay that extra distance? Otherwise, he's got everything. And wouldn't it be great for Trevor Hemmings, who owns him? He's had three winners. And he put this horse up before the public had seen him. He did, a, he, he did an interview somewhere. He said, I'm going to have another national winner before I pass on. And he said, I've got two horses. And cloth cap was one of them and this was before the horse was generally on people's lips and so you're summing up cloth cap and that's ridden by top uh, top skew scudamore yeah yeah I yeah think so yeah 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 
And that would be a story as well because um, his grandfather obviously won the race, but um, his o- father Oxo. didn't. Yeah, yeah. And Les Mills from March, a friend of mine, was looking for an outsider for the race. Well, we've given half a dozen, haven't we? Yeah. But yeah. If he, my one with no obvious connections is the hollow ginge, but he has been within 15 lengths of the favourite, and he'll be any price you like. Well, thank you very much for those thoughts um, about this year's Grand National, uh, a race you first rode in back in 1967. Foynaven. Yeah, you you missed all the mayhem at uh, yeah. the 23rd yeah. fence. <laughs> yeah, I fell at the third. I think I might have been unsighted, I can't remember, but to sit there in the grass so early in a race, it's horrible, Stephen. You just want it to start, whoa, boys, come back. You know, I'm, I'm, I've fallen. I want to join in. You know, it's awful. And, it, and, if, because, um, and if we were in normal times, would you be going on Saturday or on the 10th of April? Yes, I would. I, of course, I haven't missed since 1967. I've been in and I've been in employed one way or another you know bbc 35 years um uh, also television for ancient television and oh various things in the virtual grand national last few years and we'll have a small role this year so since 1967 i've had every year an involvement of some sort but i tell you what is because the bbc gives you a bit of exposure you see and other things and they give every now and again uh green plates, which they screw on the old Wayne room wall, legends, it's called the legends wall, you see. And they gave it to me by public opinion in, in, they asked various newspapers, public opinion, they gave it to me, you see, one year. And Graham Thorner, who's my neighbour here, who won the national, was champion jockey. He came storming at me, he said, that's travesty of justice. I mean, you know, I've won the national. I've been champion jockey. What have you ever done? And you're a legend. <laughs> oh dear. And you're still working on the, the virtual Grand National again this year. Yep. Yep. Nick Luck heads it. Um, yeah, there'll be Alice Plunkett and me produ- producing and Bob Champion, Bob producing, producing bits. Bob Champion. Yeah, it, it's good. It'll be good. And the, I mean, the software is amazing how how we, one year we had six out of the first 10, you know, it's, you know, it's been very, very good. And it really, it had a viewing audience of 4.8 million last year, live when it went out, which, you know, it was just amazing. <laughs> My biggest viewing, or not mine, the BBC's biggest viewing while I was with them was 16.8 million one year, you know, and that's in modern times where there were lots of platforms life changes and is there a legends race have you got a a legends race to get ready for or not no um they they, that stopped when oh when the sponsorship changed from john smith's that stopped because the new sponsors wanted a a different angle you know but uh, have we talked about that just briefly when i did you did yeah that's right yeah No, but I, I was actually thinking about the, have you got a, a virtual legends race to get ready for? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Poor old Chris run worse each year they put him. He's getting further back in a load of old what's-its, that is, you know. Yes. They, they'll bring them together. Of course, Potter's Corner will be the latest one winner to, to go in it. Yeah. Well, thank you again for uh, spending time with me this morning. 
uh, a race that you've been associated, as you said, since 1967. Any final thoughts about the race, how important it's been to you as a jockey, a broadcaster? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to win it. And the only way I can win it now is by owning one. I've actually, my wife Maddie, who came in looking for the phone just now, um, and I bred one that uh, was beaten a short head in over the small offences, either the top of Moor Beach, or I can't remember, and then fell in the Grand National at the 22nd. Um, then disappeared off getting away so my that's my aim but now i'm a poor old pensioner and the chance of me i'd have to be a syndicate horse if ever i'm to realize that dream but i did want to say one thing Stephen, which we passed over in a way your first question was from des briscoe who said we rode together he was a very good jockey he was stylish for that era uh, people like david mole johnny hayne Des Briscoe was stylish and good. And as I said earlier, you've got to ride for stables that have winners. Otherwise, how can a jockey have winners? And, and that's been a big help to Rachel Brackmore. But she hasn't just been handed that job. Henry de Bromhead said recently, I, I didn't really give it to her. She made it her own, you know, because she was so good. More and more owners wanted her to ride. And she has made it. That would be a great story if Bryony and Rachel can line up. Well, thank you. That's a very good uh, way to end today's podcast. Uh, I know Des Briscoe, I keep in touch with his wife, Viv, via email, and she listens to the podcast. And I know Des will be very pleased to hear what you just said there. Um, thank you very much he, for that. He was a better jockey and a nicer person than me. He just didn't talk as much. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've talked with us this morning. Uh, thank you again for being on the Paddock and the Pavilion. Pleasure. Have a good time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and The Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.